This is the all too historical, not metaphorical, mythological or generalized account of what actually happened in history to fulfill the promise made to Abraham for God's people so that all would come true. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Landon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and we are still on Christmas break here at Stand Firm. So this week, in lieu of a regular podcast episode, we'll post a second Christmas sermon, this one from J.D. Koch, preached on Christmas Eve 2021. Merry Christmas. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good evening to you all. And now at the end of Advent, we can officially say Merry Christmas to you. I know you've all been waiting so long to say that, so it's now official. And for the next 12 days, feel free to use it as liberally as you'd like, as often as you'd like until Epiphany, and then it must be silenced again uh, until next Christmas season. But uh, we have come once again to our yearly celebration of Christmas this evening. And it's tempting, I don't know about you, but it's tempting with all of the music and all of the nostalgia and all of the um, sort of revelry, uh, which I'm I'm completely uh, succumbed to. I'm very weak when it comes to emotional manipulation of movies and music and things, and I have to guard myself, uh, particularly against the song um, uh, Mama's Christmas Shoes. Do you know this song? Do you know this song? I wanna buy some shoes for my mama, please, mister, could you help me? Because she's going to meet Jesus tonight, you know, and you immediately start crying and, and, and wondering what sort of world where this boy couldn't afford shoes. And, and the next thing you know, you're, you're sort of, you're, you're buying as many shoes for as many different people as you can. You know this song? I mean, this is, anyway, I'm sharing too much. But, um, but I don't know about you, but during this season, I find it uh, difficult sometimes to detach what is actually true and real about my life from kind of the, the sort of gauzy nostalgia. You know what I'm talking about? Sort of the, the sort of the, the the Hallmark Christmas veneer that gets placed over everything during this season. And between the, the pageants and the festivities and the music and the, the movies, well, this entire season can sort of be a kind of a, a dreamlike experience, sort of a, a sort of ephemeral. You know, we can sort of wake up after Thanksgiving and it's New Year's and it says something just happened and I, I seem to have watched A Wonderful Life like 15 times and, and I have a new bike and, and I don't know what happened, but here we are. And, and Christmas can actually, can actually uh, sort of be that for, for many people. That, that this, this, this season itself, because it is, so, it is in so many people's minds so, so deeply connected to past and to, to hopes and to loss and to, to things that are intensely real about your life, that the only recourse many people have is to, is to we're sort of back away from it. And to put a put a gauzy haze over it, and and let them Christmas music go, and kind of kind of kind of float through it, because to really kind of land yourself in this season for many people is quite difficult, quite difficult practically speaking, because of all of the various things that are pulling us, but also quite difficult because it is such it, it brings up so many deep and evocative emotions, you know, your grandparents, the smells of your childhood. 
the, the hopes that you had 10 years ago that have been unfulfilled, the, the dreams that you once shared, the, the, the reality where you find yourself now, all of it comes together and crashing down at Christmas with the, with the music and the movies and the parties and the gauze. And well, it's often very difficult for people. And so Christmas, in many people's minds, the entire season actually tends towards sort of the, the, the fantastic or the, the mythological or the sort, of, the sort of ethereal, kind of the not quite real, which is something that our gospel writers knew would be tempting for future generations. They knew that many people and many religions around the world, both then and now, have sort of a mythological understanding of life, you know, sort of a, a vague sense of where we came from, sort of an unformed sense of where we are, and sort of a, a generalized idea of the hope to which we're going. And they knew that that was sort of the temptation that people would often fall into, that they would fall into this understanding of God or history or the world or themselves even, it was unformed, sort of dehistoricized. It was disconnected from the actual reality of everyday life. And what that turns religion into in particular is sort of a morality tale, like an Aesop's fable, right? Like a, like a, like a Brothers Grimm sort of story with a, with a moral at the end. And that's what people often associate, not simply with, with, with Christianity, but with, with religion in general. And it all comes crashing down for many people at Christmas. You know, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not shout. I'm telling you why. You know, why? Santa Claus, I mean, the elf on a shelf. Do you know this thing? You know, I mean, this is how this all gets confused. Because people are like, well, I feel something real feel something real. I know that I'm an actual human being in this season with my problems at this moment, and yet nothing that really seems to, to be offered during this season is connecting to me in any actual way, and so I'm going to, well, float, float through with songs and movies and ideas and vague sense of hope and an unformed sense of where we were and an unformed sense of who I am and a vague and generalized hope of where I'm going. You see, this is 180 degrees opposite of the preaching of the gospel that we have been given through the gospel writers of the birth and death, uh, birth, life, and death of Jesus. And it all begins on Christmas morning. I mean, listen to Luke. Luke, as we just heard, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Now, if you were filming this, you're putting a, a soundtrack behind it, you would begin to have sort of the drums starting to beat. The people who were listening to this, they knew all about who David was. They knew all about what Bethlehem represented. They knew what the prophets had foretold. They knew the promise that had been given to Abraham. And all of a sudden you're saying, in those days, Caesar Augustus said everyone should be registered. Sirius, I mean, Quinius was governor of Syria. And Joseph went from Galilee all the way to where? To Bethlehem. Bethlehem, where David's, wait, what's happening? And the music continues to build, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them at the end. And you see this is the all-too-historical 
not metaphorical, mythological, or generalized account of what actually happened in history to fulfill the promise made to Abraham for God's people so that all would come true. All of the promises would be fulfilled and all that had been foretold would be realized in him. In those days, Caesar had all of them be registered and and Quirinius was governor of Syria and Joseph went to Bethlehem and we're off. That's what Luke was telling the world in this. And so it's worth reflecting a little bit tonight in the midst of the carols and the singing and the Hallmark movies and all of the various sort of nostalgic things that are going on around this season that in the midst of all the feelings that this actually happened that Jesus was born and the promises attached to his name actually were fulfilled. That upon his life, death, and resurrection, after he taught, preached, and sent his disciples to the world, we're here in Mount Pleasant, 2,000 plus years later, hearing the same story, listening to the same words, watching the same prophecy fulfilled, and not just here, every single corner of the earth. This has actually taken place, beginning in the reign of Caesar Augustus, when Quirinius, by the way, was a governor. That was then, this is now, and it will continue until he comes again. I mean, remember what Jesus said before he left, before he ascended, after his resurrection, which was a shock to everyone, except for him, to be sure. He said this, he said, guys, look, all authority on heaven and earth All authority has been given to me. And so I'm sending you into all the world to teach everyone what I told you and to then baptize them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. Well, that was 2,000 plus years later. There's not a corner of the earth where that has not been preached into. There's not a person in any tongue, tribe, or nation that hasn't, in fact, heard and been taught and been baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, not everyone, to be sure, but that was never the promise. The promise was simply, all authority has been given to me. Now go to the ends, do this, and watch what happens. And here we are. Here we are in Mount Pleasant, 2021. With all of our lights and technology and all of our songs and all of our things, still listening to what he taught, still being baptized into his name, still wondering and amazement is what he has done for the world. I mean, look at what Paul tells Titus in our right reading tonight. Now, Titus was a Gentile convert to Christianity. Paul's sort of mentor, uh, a mentee, excuse me. And Paul sent him to a nascent church in Crete. And he was like, Titus, you got this. I know you're young, but listen, like you've got something they need to hear and you have the power of the Holy Spirit and I've got your back. So let's stay in touch, but go into this church and teach them what Jesus told us to teach them. Everything he said, baptize them, and then watch what the Spirit does. Well, what do we hear Paul giving Titus tonight? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. In the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the great glory of our great God and Savior, excuse me, Jesus Christ, 
who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, says Paul. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. And by, and just so you know, Titus, don't let anyone disregard you. And that became a model, not simply for Titus, although it works there. Churches are still in Crete. It worked as a model for all of the under-shepherds, as it were, who went from Crete to Asia Minor to the various continents, all to the end of the earth, teaching them everything that Jesus gave them to teach, baptizing them in his name, and watching what the Spirit would then do. That's what happened then. That's what happens now. And that's what will continue to happen. And why is that? Because the grace of God has appeared in Jesus Christ. That's why. That as we sing, the dawn of redeeming grace was born on Christmas morning. The Son of God, who revealed our need, whose death was for our sins, whose resurrection secured our enduring hope, the likes of which the world had never seen. All of a sudden, the preaching of God was no longer a vague sense of where we came to a sort of amorphous sense of where we are and a generalized hope of where we're going. It was concretized, historicized, and made real just like you. See, a a, a sort of unfleshed, random idea of God or the divine or the universe has never helped anyone. The Apostle Paul preaches about this. He tells his people, he says, teach them to ignore the made-up fantasies and myths that people make up. The pious myths about where you came from and who you are. Ignore those things and turn back to the preaching of God in Christ for the world. Because you're not a mythological idea. You're not an abstract sort of concept. You're a human being. You have an actual history. You have real problems and real hopes and real successes right now. And you are looking ahead towards a future that is certain to a certain degree, to be sure. They will come to an end. This side of what? Well, this side of heaven. So said Jesus. This side of eternity preaches the church. This side of union with God forever. This is what we have been given to preach to the world since the dawn of redeeming grace. You see, your life is beset by sin, death, and the devil. You may call it something different. You may use different terms. But the Bible uh, is very clear about this, that the world is not as it ought to be. You and me, we are not as we ought to be. And creation itself cries out for redemption. The very molecules of our body, they are not meant to decay, cry out for a redeemer, for a savior, for an actual historic embodied savior. And that's exactly what we got. Because our real historic reality requires a real historic flesh and blood redeemer. The dawn of redeeming grace. And in that same region, continues Luke, the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled, rightly so, with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, 
For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. We see Luke knew, as in the recounting this story, that what had happened was altogether different than the world had ever seen. That into time and space, God had intervened in the person of his son to redeem his time and space bound people so that they would then become his voice, his proclamation, and his witnesses to the end of the earth. Come and hear what our Lord has done to save. Come and hear how he has defeated sin, death, and the devil. Come and see what he has done since the dawn of redeeming grace. That's what we celebrate here tonight, once again, with the angels. We notice that what they, when they announced Jesus... They told us simultaneously two things, who we are and who he is, because they said unto you this day is born what? A savior. Well, saviors are only good news for people in need of saving, as we say. So all of a sudden we see the two stark realities of our existence laid out before us. You in need of saving will now have great joy preached to you. Because a Savior has been born. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king, we sing. You see, the angels knew what they had been preached and told by God to say to the people. And the people who had walked in darkness, as we hear, will now see the great light that is shown. And that is the Savior of the world has come. Saviors come to those in need of saving. Those who find themselves not in an abstract reality of their existence, not in a metaphorical place of need, but you and me right here and right now. People who have found or are finding or know that they will find themselves, in fact, overwhelmed by life and in fact need of a savior. People who look into the heavens wondering if there is a God. People who read the news and worry about themselves and their kids and their grandkids, people who wrestle with addiction, people who are unhappily unmarried or unhappily married, people who are heartbroken, angry, tired, sick, alone, despairing, in short, people who are beset by sin, death, and the devil need a savior, and that's exactly what we got. Into this world, during the reign of Caesar Augustus, while Quirinius was governor of Syria, God sent his son to fulfill the promise given all the way back to Eve, even predating Adam, I mean, uh, Abraham. Remember, after the curse given to Eve, it says, even despite this curse, from your seed will come one who will crush the serpent's head. Well, that remained vague, shrouded in mystery all the way until that great Easter morn when people begin to put two and two together and begin to sing and praise and worship in an altogether different way because redeeming grace had come. That from her seed would come one who would crush the serpent's head and now has, as we sing, no more let sins and sorrows grow nor thorns infest the ground because he has come, is coming, and will continue to come to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Once again, this Christmas, 
we celebrate the dawn of redeeming grace and sing praises to our King, who was and is and is to come.